Welcome to Ports of Praise Online. This is a message from Pastor Clay Williams entitled The Holiness of God from his series on doctrine. Good evening and uh, welcome in our uh, new facility. Golly. Scared people off. Last week I was too rough, I guess. I was talking, no, I didn't even speak last week, and it was understanding God as Father. You were here. So it wasn't even scary. Okay. Tonight should be kind of scary, but maybe they knew. Maybe they knew we were going to talk about this tonight. I don't know. Um Yeah. Okay. Well, hopefully we're going to hit in some stuff that you have seen before. Um, hopefully we're going to hit into some stuff that you have seen before. I'm sure you have. Um, but um, maybe we're going to put some things out there, some concepts or something that's just a little bit not different, but refresh our memory of some things tonight. So um, let's let's start with a word of prayer. Father, we are grateful for your kindness. We're grateful for your grace that is not cheap, but is free. It is unmerited, and Lord, we are thankful. That you are merciful. Lord, we thank you that you are just. Father, we thank you that you are holy. That you are righteous. And Father, we honor you for all that you are. Things that we cannot even describe or understand. And we praise you and we give you honor tonight. And I pray, God, that you would help us to uh, have ears to hear. Lord, minds to be open to your word. And... Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd help us get a lot accomplished tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Good, I think we will. Because um, with this light of crowd, I mean, people probably may show up in about 10 minutes or so. But um, but uh, with this light of crowd, we, we should be able to talk about some things. And uh, um, I guess this could be my advanced class. So, um, so anyway, here we go. Uh, if this works... All right, John, is this plugged in? Where's Welch at? Welch. No, sir. It's not plugged in. Huh. All right, you want to try it again? We ready?
it may be, um, there we go. All right, here we go. All right, y'all ready to read with me? All right, come on, my liturgical church. I'll wear my robe. I don't have one. Hey, listen, I'm doing a, uh, I'm doing a wedding uh, this Friday, and uh, I've already emailed it to Andrea, so, man, you're going to be messed up now. Uh, I'm doing a wedding this Friday, or actually it's this Saturday, but it's at a place in Tyrone called Glendalow Manor. Y'all need to look that up uh, when you get home. Glendalow Manor. And uh, it is probably one of the prettiest places I have ever seen. <laughs> and uh, yeah, because I emailed it to Andrew and said, check this out. This is in Tyrone. Yeah, it's kind of like Larry, huh? <laughs> Larryville. Hey, y'all, come on in. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, but uh, anyway, it is uh, It is beautiful. So, uh, I don't know, check that out. I, I, you know, and, and when I looked at this place, it's a really upscale place. And the funny thing about it is, they asked me to do the wedding. And it's an upscale place. That is very funny. It's kind of like... It's kind of like I'm going, hey, because it's an outdoor, we're going to do an outdoor thing, and I'm going to be like, hey, do I need to wear a suit? And then I go look at where this place is, and I'm like, oh, man, I probably should wear a robe. <laughs> you know, it's one of those nice, I know, I might, yeah, <gasps> I could fit in it. All right, well, you know, hey, listen, he may not be wide enough for man size, you know? That's right, so, anyway. So now, now that we've already said all of this, let's talk about the holiness of God. You ready? We're gonna, let's read this together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. From the dead, He ascended into heaven. Sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Alright. Now, yeah, yeah, Paul Walker. Um... You know, uh, and, and I still get a kick out of this. Every time I read it, I still think of the quick <laughs> uh, that Dad brought up. And then uh, I think of uh, the Holy Catholic Church, small c. And uh, I think it's funny. So anyway, y'all just indulge me. Sometimes you need little things. Amen. Anybody ever need little things? All right. Okay. So tonight we are going to talk about the holiness of God. And first off, let's give... Uh, some definition to it, and then uh, we're going to go to the Bible and see kind of where we got that definition and how we got it. And we're going to, by God's grace tonight, show the interrelation of the Old Testament understanding of holy and the New Testament understanding of holy and how one gives definition to the other and, um, and how God has, in His holiness, done all things. So, let's look. First off, God's holiness means that He is separated from sin and devoted to seeking His own honor. 
God's holiness means that He is separated from sin and devoted to seeking His own honor. Um, And then the second thing I have up here, this is probably the most central doctrine concerning the character of God. Now, why are we getting three-quarters of the way through the doctrines of God or the attributes of God and just now talking about it? Well, um, probably because that's the way I laid it out. Um, But this this is probably... When we talk about the wisdom of God, when we talk about the knowledge of God, when we talk about the mercy of God, when we talk about the justice of God, when we talk about the love of God, all of those attributes. If you'll notice, we've used words like infinitely, which means unlimited, okay? Um, but it's, it's also unlimited in its purity or its holiness. So God is uh, holy, merciful he is he is holy in his mercy he's holy in his justice he's holy in his wrath so what does that mean you know have have any of you ever had felt wrath while you were raising your kids yes if you're telling me no you're you're lying i would think i would suggest okay How many of you have ever sinned against your kids? I have. Um, You're angry. You discipline out of anger or unrighteous anger. Um, But God, in His holiness, never... Think about this. He never disciplines us out of unrighteous anger. He never... He never executes justice unrighteously. That means he cannot be unrighteous. So when we read Habakkuk, and we see Habakkuk crying out, God, why are you going to let your covenant people sin like this? They've perverted the law. They've done all these things. And God says in verse 4 and 5, He says, listen Habakkuk, You need to understand something. I've been in this thing for a long time now. And I'm in this for the long haul. And my purposes exceed your generation. And he says, even now, without you even knowing about it, I am behind the scenes at work. And even now, I'm raising up the Chaldeans or the Babylonians to measure out my justice. Well, that that blows Habakkuk away. Why? Because the Babylonians are merciless. They're wicked. They're sinful people. But yet, righteously and completely holy, God uses them So it's right for him to do that. Now, so what does that tell us? There's some implications about this. He answers to no one. He alone, he alone is just. He alone is righteous. He alone is all wise. So, here's, here's kind of where the holiness takes us, is that who are we, and this is kind of, 
where Job ended up with God. Do you remember this? Chapters 38 through 41 of Job. Job's, Job's complaining. He's finally done lost it. If I could just get an ear, if I could get God to come down and listen to me, I'd tell him how terrible my life is. And then God shows up in chapter 38 and says, Job, I've been listening to you, and I want you to sit down, and I want you to be quiet, because where were you when I created the heavens and the earth? Where were you when I formed you know, the earth. Where were you when I set the moon and the sun and the stars, when I spoke them into existence? Where were you, Job? Oh, wait a second. I hadn't created you yet. So, who are you to begin to question me? And he goes on for three chapters. And then at the end, what is Job left with? God, you alone are holy and righteous and just. And, you know, so um, what's another? What would be another example of God granting mercy or punishing a wicked nation? What would be another example? What's a come on? It's a it's a big one. What would be another big one? Sodom and Gomorrah would be one. We kind of understand that one. Who would you say? Jonah, excellent. That's what I was looking for. Um, Nineveh. Why did Jonah not want to go evangelize Nineveh? They were their enemy. They were wicked people. He thought that they deserved it. Now, okay. All right. Let me, let me meddle real quick. That's exactly right. He knew that if he, if he preached the message, that God in His mercy may allow them to repent. Now, okay, I'm going to meddle just for a minute. How many times have we held unforgiveness against someone or have not went to someone that we had bitterness or anger or resentment or... or we have not confronted someone who is in sin that claims to be a Christian because, well, that's them. See? All right, let, let me just give you an example. Um, and uh, I, I just spoke with somebody about this, but none of you will know anything about this. Uh, young lady... Um, Deciding to try an alternative lifestyle. She's just trying it out. Okay? <laughs> Nothing to do with you either. Um, <laughs> uh, but it's another one. Um, and uh, she has been involved. I've taught this young lady before. She's grown up. She knows. Alright? Well, her mom knows and said, well, she's okay with it. There's a, there's a fine line, fine line, of saying, okay, Here's our boundaries. You need to understand 
um, I love you. But this is kind of a line. You're continually living in something that's plainly contrary. Now, will someone say something? Will someone, or in this situation, have, have, has every one of her friends said, oh, well, okay. Or as Christians, have they, have they mercifully reached out to her and said, sitting, sitting who you are, it's not who God created you to be. It's sin. Because there are going to be some lines that you're that, that eventually you're going to have to. This there are, there are eternal issues at stake with where they're at. So however you deal with that, but someone's got to say something. But even if it's not this issue, and and and, and I mentioned this particular person because I taught him. I, I taught another young man. Same thing. Came to our youth group for a while. Same thing. Same issue. Okay. What what about um you know what about what about just sexual immorality? I mean, um, you know, I had um I worked with someone closely in in church um, at one point who um, was a role model to other people within the church. And by their own choice, they were living in sexual sin. Well, do you simply don't say anything? Because you don't want to offend them? Or is a holy God offended? You know? So, I mean, I, I, you know, it, we've even had some situations and some instances here. Um, and uh, I know of one lady in particular in here tonight that, that, would, that went to somebody and said, Okay, now let me talk to you. Let me help you here. You know? Where are you at? What's going on in your life? Now they didn't want it. Now listen, here's what I loved about what this person did. They didn't come in there and they didn't just start telling them that they were dying and going to hell. What they did was they began to ask them questions. Where are you at? What's going on? What are your thought processes? Why are you doing what you're doing? Is there something in something in your belief system that is justifying this behavior? Okay? Because listen, I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to teach on this. Uh, I, I'm toying with the idea of, of a sermon title that is grace isn't cheap. It's free. And the reason I'm toying with that sermon title is because what I want to point out is, is we teach, sometimes we teach a grace that is cheap and sloppy, but not real grace. 
Grace is God's unmerited favor toward the repentant. And sometimes what we call grace is really false mercy. You understand? So, we've got to be careful that we don't cross those lines and that we make sure that we're clear in our thinking because ultimately, you need to understand, God is holy. There are some implications to His holiness, so let's talk about them. Um, everything that God does is holy. The holiness of God is a central doctrine concerning His character. Um, but now, and, and here's the deal. Grace or the favor of God. Because see, you see, if you want to look up grace in the Old Testament, you know, you'll look up favor of God. Grace is seen in the Old Testament as the favor of God. Um, but it needs to be seen in light of God's holiness. Now, what do I mean by that? God, in His holiness, extends grace to us. What does it say in 1 Peter 1? Anybody know? We'll talk about it later. It says, be holy, for I am holy. Now, before I get ahead of myself, I'm going to show you a parallel how God is holy, but God has created us to be image bearers of His holiness. So God hasn't just put a demand on you, okay, now be holy. God's put something in you that helps you to where you can be holy. Now, will we be perfectly holy as, as He is here? No, because it, it, it's going to be a process. We're going to be perfected, but it's probably going to be on the other side of the resurrection. Hmm. We'll be on the other side of the resurrection. Um, so, now, uh, l- let me give you this quote. The God which the, ma- the vast majority of pr- pressing Christians uh, love, or professing Christians love, is... Uh, looked upon very much like an indulgent old man who himself uh, has no relish for folly and he leniently winks at the indiscretions of youth. So, this is written you know, from somebody back in the day. So what he's saying is, is that many times our idea in the contemporary church is, is that God is this just congenial happy old man who says, ah, they're just kids. They'll be okay. It's not true. So, and I guess what I need to, what I need to say is, here's, there's a tension. And we're going to talk about this in the weeks ahead, but when we talk about grace and we say that it is unmerited, all right, in our context, in other words, our Pentecostal charismatic context, we all believe that that's what grace is because when you look it up and when you understand the definition and you see the context, grace is something that we cannot earn. Right? Okay. However, There, there, grace, real grace, real truth, leads to holiness. It leads to the practice of holiness. Okay? So, uh, people, people who are persistent in sin, that's how First John can talk about 
persistent people. He says, if you don't, you know, if you if you don't, you say you love God, but you don't you don't love your brother, you're a liar. Truth to God's not even in you. But here's what happens to us. We hear that and we say, now God, how can you say that? And we begin to question God, who is perfectly holy. Why do we question those things? Looking for an excuse? Well, I'm going to show you in just a second. It's because we've tried to make God in our image. We've tried to make God in our image. And, and, and so, anyway. Um, so, but the Bible, so, the Bible paints a very different picture of who God is than some indulgent old man who winks at our indiscretions. God does not wink at indiscretions. He does not wink at sin. When we are saved, God does not wink at sin. He wants us to deal with sin. That's why there are passages in the Bible that are talking to Christians about their sinfulness. Because God, does, because, you know, God wants us to be a... Do you know what? That's why church, that's why church discipline happens. Is because ultimately, if you won't repent... God wants you set outside the camp because He wants the world to see, now nah, these are set apart. He, they, the purpose of church discipline is restoration. It's love-based. It's to redeem. It's to bring back. But ultimately, if they refuse, you've got to set them outside the camp. And you've got to treat them. What does the Bible say about, about church disciplines? Everybody remember what's the final step? Excommunication, but then it says what? says, basically, you evangelize them. Treat them as you would an unbeliever. And the reason is, is because God is holy. His people are called to be holy. So, ultimately, those who continue in sin, you don't, listen, grace is unmerited, but you don't, remember Paul says, it's, you don't continue in sin that grace would abound. If it's really grace, it's going to yield this. Okay. Um, so here are a couple of verses of Scripture that talks about something that we, we, don't, we don't really talk about in church much. Um, Psalm 5, verse 5. It says, you, talking about God, hate all evildoers. Psalm 7, verse 11 and 12 says this, God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. Well, that's not the God I want to talk to. <laughs> you, don't get your, you don't get your choice. <laughs> if a man, I'm still reading the book, does not repent, here's what the, here's what the Bible says. God will wet his sword he has he will sharp yeah that's king james he will sharpen his sword and then it says he has bent and readied his bow <laughs> shall we continue in sin that grace may abound uh 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 so 
So, um, let me. I, I'm trying to get to the happy stuff. Um, I'm trying. Y'all need to pray for me because this Sunday. Because y'all need to pray for me. Don't not show up this Sunday, but but this Sunday I'm probably gonna gonna teach on probably the end of of Romans one and two. I may try to compile one, two, and three. I haven't fully developed it yet. But I'm going to probably hit the doctrine of sin this Sunday morning because before you can understand, before you can understand God's grace, you've got to understand our sin. And see, that's why holiness, the holiness of God is so important. Because before you can understand how great grace is, I mean, Paul laid it out. One through three, he talks about we're all sinners, we're all undeserving, we're all, des- you know, we're deser- if we're deserving of anything, we're deserving of hell. And then chapter 4, he begins to talk about grace and what grace does. Chapter 5, he starts talking about justification. Chapter 6, he starts talking about identification. So, I mean, listen, you know, you, you got to, um, but, but you notice the order. God doesn't start off with, here's my plan for your life. Almost sounded like a a big preacher. God has a plan for your life. I wish they had the pen up here. <laughs> that was for Pat. That was for Pat. Um, I know it, but and he does. But before he can ever get you to the plan. He's got to get you to understand that, guess what? You're not worthy of his plan. And the only way you can ever accomplish his plan is to understand that he's provided a way. So on Sunday, I'm going to try to, I'm going to, try to tell everybody, you're not worthy. You're not worthy. And you're going to, and I'm going to look at me. <laughs> you go, amen. Why? Because, because the more we understand about his holiness, the more we understand that we're not. You know? Yeah, well, I'm going to have to find our happy place somewhere during the message. Um, but so the holiness of God then uh, is, is characterized into two categories, okay? First one is this, separation from sin. And then second off, it's devoted to his glory. All right? Now, if this is true, if this is true, if God, if the holiness of God means that he is separated from sin, Yeah, you know I'm setting this up. What are the implications of this? If you sin, he separates himself. Um, Guess ultimately, if you continue, yeah, I guess ultimately. But but what are some basic? What are primary? Some primary things that we can say about God and sin. What did you say? He hates sin. He loves us. Okay. What? What did you say? What did you say? Huh? What did you say? Ah! He has no sin in him. And he cannot create sin. Huh? Listen, listen, 
See, here's where we get to the problem that no one can understand, and that's where I'm going to have to shut you down because no one has given a great explanation. And on this side of glory, we won't know why, because you can't go back to Adam. How did Adam fall? That's really irrelevant. We know how Adam fell. Adam fell because sin had already entered. And it was (laughs) because iniquity, the Bible says that iniquity in Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel, the Bible says iniquity was found in Satan. And so he made a decision. So, what? So, Satan came in and tempted and deceived. The Bible says this about Eve, that Eve was deceived. And it says that Adam sinned. Adam was with her while she was being deceived. Look in Genesis 1 through 3. Look who gets the command to not eat from the tree. It's the man. His responsibility, men, was to lead his home and to tell the commandments of God to his wife. There was only one. And instead, he wanted to sit down, shut up, and eat apples from some other tree and watch sports talk radio or TV or football. Or baseball. Something happened in the man way back in the garden. I don't know. Maybe it was horse races. They had communication problems. Exactly. Communication was number one. Was the number one problem back in the garden. And and so what happened is, is men, is the man crossed his arms. He crossed his arms, and here's what he did. Yeah, it's not a marriage seminar. He crossed his arms and he remained silent. And life's been different for us ever since. Most of us are still doing that. Yeah, Vince uncrossed his arms. Now, um, Crystal, since you so eloquently explained that God is separated from sin and He cannot sin, and in Him is no sin or evil. Let's verify that. Look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, and what does it say? 1 John 1, verse 5. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. So, just so you don't think this is my idea of holiness, I want you to hear what the Bible says. 1 John, chapter 1, verse 5. Go ahead, Crystal. You got it? In Him is no darkness. Okay, there's no sin, there's no evil. One verse, one passage, I think it's in Hebrew, says there's no shadow or there's no turning in him. So in God, there is. So now, so we get back to the question of evil. Nobody really has an answer for it this side of glory. Uh, So we just have to say that God remains holy. He is holy. He does not create evil. He does not create sin. And so, but yet, rather what the Word teaches us out of Psalms is that He hates sin. That His wrath burns against sin. If you noticed on Sunday, I said, 
Young boys, girls, this is the gospel. We have all sinned against God. We deserve the judgment of God. And everybody says, Amen. Because without understanding that God is just and He will judge and His wrath will burn against unrighteous, if you don't understand that, you don't understand how great His mercy is. You don't understand how great His grace is. If for the rest of my life He never did another thing for me, that was good enough. I've got to rest in that was good enough. That was the best gift of all. But, but see, God has entered into a covenant with us. And there are covenant blessings that follow those who believe. Okay? So let me, let me... This idea of separation from sin and being devoted to God is twofold. And, and here's where I want to show you something. Uh, somebody look at uh, Exodus chapter 26. I want you to look at, um, you could probably start and say verse 28. Philip, if you get there, why don't you go on and read that, if you don't mind. Yes, sir, and go on, because verse, tw- verse 33 is what we're really going for. But let's go on and back up to, uh, i tell you what, go to verse 30. Do 30 to 33. Okay, there is a, it talks about that there is a, there's a tabernacle that is built. And if we understand the tabernacle, here was an outer court or an area that was built. And then there was, what, a holy place? This place right here was called what? The Holy of Holies. Now, very interesting. Could anybody... Walk into this place. No. This place was reserved for God's what? Huh? Priest? Ah, uh, you could get some people in in, in, in second second temple or the first temple, you could actually go into the outer court. But who was it? Covenant people. There you go. So this place it was reserved for covenant people. Here's what had to happen though. In this outer court, there was a place uh, for sacrifices. There was a place for personal things. Now look, here's what's happening here. God has created a place in a desert. In a place where there's no water, where there's no nourishment, where there's nothing. God has created a place and said, I have boxed out... And, it, and the Bible talks about God being setting up the tabernacle. And where was the tabernacle set up in, in Moses' day? Where was it? In the midst. Our, oh, hmm. It was set up in the midst of God's people. 
And guess what it talks about in the New Testament? That He comes in and He tabernacles among us and amidst us. And we become the tabernacle of God. And where does He dwell? His Spirit dwells within us. And it dwells then within us as a church, as a body. So here's the thing. God had set up the tabernacle in its origin to separate them to be a separation from the world. From the sinfulness that was in the world. And, but then, there was a place that was distinct within the separation between God's place and the world's. There was a place, or God's place and where sin was, 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 was rampant. Because this was a place that was set apart. He put a holy place and a holy of holies. And this place was a place that was devoted to what? It's devoted simply to Him. Honor, bring glory. For his, it was a place for His what? His glory to dwell. God is separated from sin and He's devoted to His own honor and glory. Now, look at this. I'm going to draw a correlation. Ephesians chapter 2. Look at this with me. Ephesians chapter 2. Verses, start in verse 21. It says, um, In whom... The whole structure, let's back up to verse 19. Um, So then you're no longer strangers and aliens. Okay? But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a what? A holy temple in the Lord. And in Him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. What did we just have? We just had two levels of distinction. We're built into a temple and a dwelling place. A temple and a dwelling place. God has... In His holiness. Not created for us a building. But has called out to us. Redeemed us. Made us sons. And has put His Spirit within us. To make us different. To cleanse us from this but then also to devote us to Him. So God's holiness at work in the life of a believer is to set us apart from sin, but set us in devotion to Him. It's twofold. So let's look. What are some other, what are some other things? The Weiss translation, translates Holy Temple, inner sanctuary, permanent dwelling place. The uh, Message Bible, let me read it to you. 
says this. He's using us. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here and what he's building. He used the apostles and prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God. All of us built into it, a temple in which, and I like this, this is why I wanted to read this from the message. A temple in which God is quite at home. That's adoption. That's where the spirit, our spirits cry out, Abba, Father. Why? Because he has, what he's done is he separated us from sin because God can't dwell with that. And then what he's done is he's made us vessels for his honor in which he feels quite at home. And that's good. So here it is. God has made us tabernacles. So because um, God is holy and he cannot look at sin, he sent his son as a substitution to pay the penalty for our sin. And then what did he do? He, Ryan gives me a hard time because he says, Dad, you use big words on Sunday. Well, you know, maybe I could, maybe I could probably try to come up with some. I don't think I'm, I'm so much that you can't understand me. But there are some terms that you need that you need to grasp. You need to understand substitution. You need to understand penal substitutionary atonement. You need to understand what that means. If you don't, write it down. And 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 learn it and and embrace what it means. Why? Because what that means is is that there was a penalty that had to be paid for our sin. And see, what happens is, is you understand the depth of what Christ did for you. To just say Jesus died for my sins, it doesn't quite grasp the effect of the fact that there was a penalty that was due and demanded. It's that Romans 3, the wages, wages of sin. Okay, so here's the thing. There was a substitute and he imputed righteousness. Listen, y'all remember in in, uh, Leviticus where they take the goat and they bring it and they lay their hands on it And, and what happens at that moment, okay, there's two goats one of them slaughtered, okay? Another one, they lay their hands on it. It's called the scapegoat. And what happens? All the sin is imputed onto that goat. And then they take that goat and they let it go. See? That's penal substitutionary atonement. One of them is there's a penalty by death, and the other is is it removes it. So guess what understanding penal substitutionary atonement does? It means that not only did Christ die for my sin, but he died to remove my guilt from me. Understanding that's powerful. Okay? This is how the holiness of God will affect you and will change your life. Because you think about your own sinfulness differently. 
Because God is at work in you, both to will and according to his good pleasure. And 1 Thessalonians 5, Lord willing, we'll get there. He says, faithful as he's called you, he also will do it. Okay? So he is imputed. So just as they laid their hands on that goat and they let it go, God, through Christ, has laid his hands on you and said, you're righteous. You're righteous. And it's not something where you just, I feel righteous now. Okay? You, you need to understand this. It, 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 it's, not, it's not a feeling. Okay, I'm going to tell you what it is. Y'all ready? It's a position. He seated us. He took us. He said, I saved the best seat for you. Come on. God, I, I really need to be in the back. <laughs> you don't understand. No, I, I know where you need to be. I didn't redeem you. See, you need to hear this. God didn't redeem you for you to keep a slave mentality. But see, that's where most Christians end up. Is they end up with a slave mentality. You've got to take that next step. That's the one problem I have with, with a lot of Reformed people is they stop at our sin. And they don't move on to the grace. And they don't move on to the position that they've been given. Okay. Um, so... Here's what International um, uh, Encyclopedia um, says. Man was made in the image of God and capable of reflecting his divine likeness. And as God reveals himself as... I can't read my writing. <laughs> As, uh, okay, anyway, he calls me to a holiness resembling his own. So, um, as God reveals himself as holy, he calls me to a holiness that resembles his own. But, but here's what he has done. Who had this design? Where did this come from? Where did this plan originate? God. Dad, come on, tell me. You, you used to talk about what when God told them to build the tower. He told, He gave them specific instructions, didn't they? Where there was, some, and, and a lot of people believe there was something set up. There was a pattern. There was a pattern. Guess what, guys? In Christ, we have a pattern. And when Christ went to heaven, do you know why we had to wait on the Holy Spirit? Because Christ was going up and he was being coronated. He was being crowned king. Christ didn't being crowned king at the end of time. He was crowned king when he, he, he perfected obedience. And when he went up into heaven, he was crowned king. 
Now, I, this is my take. You've heard me teach on it. As he submitted his knee before God and said, Father, I, I did your will, God crowned him king. And when he did, the Spirit of God was released to the earth. And that's when, and that's when the baptism came. And so what happens is, is God gave us a pattern and sent His Spirit from heaven to emanate the holiness of God to the world. But here it is. God gave us a pattern and He gave us the Spirit. But too many times we're focused on how we feel that day rather on what He has done that day. Whether I've had a good day or a bad day does not denote or designate my position. It only says that I've had a bad day. But Christ is still King. God is still God. God did not give up His place on the throne that day because all hell broke loose. You know, and even... even if you die with sickness, even if you die with disease, even if you die feeling like you didn't see the promises of God fulfilled, God says, according to Hebrews 11, that there were men that didn't see the fullness of what happened, but they died in faith without ever having received the promise. They died believing that they had received. And see, that's what we've got to get into the vision of this church. That's what you've got to get in the vision of your own heart, is you may not see the fulfillment of what God has placed in you and in your kids, and it's only only by the grace of God that we can see the future and by faith grab a hold of what God is doing and saying and going to resurrect among His people. So how are we going to emanate and imitate God's character? Part of it is got to start meeting on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock and getting in the Holy Ghost together. God forbid that we have broken that leg of the chair off of the church and said that we don't no longer need it. You see, we need to understand the grace of God because guess what? The next step after understanding the gospel and the grace... You know what the next step I believe is? After you understand the gospel of grace is you understand the spirit of grace. With the gifts of grace. You need to understand why tongues are important today. You need to understand why the gifts are important today. You need to understand why we need to move in them. You need to understand why Paul said, You know what? I do this here. I don't do it here. But let me tell you something. I believe it's vitally important. You need to be built up in your faith. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Romans says you don't know how to pray. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Because the Spirit of God's a lot smarter than you are. And they'll pray prayers through you that you don't know how to utter before God. All right. So, glory. So, here it is because God is holy, acceptance based on our works is impossible. God had to give us a pattern. So, so we could receive it. 
Uh, here's what uh, Arthur Pink says. A fallen creature could sooner create a world than produce that which would meet the approval of infinite purity. Do you hear that? In other words, we could, we could create our own universe before we could uh, be good enough to meet God's full approval. He said the best that we can bring forth is defiled. The Bible puts it this way. It's like filthy rags. It's like filthy rags. Um, so, just some references. Let me just blow through this real quick. Uh, power. We talk about the omnipotence of God. We've already talked about that. Is referenced uh, in Psalm 98. It's His holy arm. Promises are referenced as His holy promises. Psalms 105, 42. Um, his works are referenced as, as being holy. Uh, Genesis 1 and 2, everything God created was good. Um, in all His ways, Psalm 145, 17. And then the most important place, see, we've got to go back to the gospel. The most important place that we see the holiness of God exemplified is at the cross. Okay, what is displayed then at the cross? What is displayed at the cross? What is displayed at the cross? Okay. His love. All right, I'm going to put that down here about number three or four. Ah, here we go. His wrath. Why? Because what's displayed at the cross? Sinfulness. And wrath is, his wrath was executed against sinfulness. That's what's happening at the cross. Read Isaiah 53. If you, you, know, you want to see the greatest example of justice and mercy and, and, and wrath? How can God be both loving and just? Go to the cross. It says that it was his good pleasure that he would crush him. Anybody ever stepped on one of those big June bugs, went down the floor and stepped on You hear it go, Argh. That's the That's the image when you read that. God Almighty put his son on that cross so that he cried out, My God, my God. Now, I think you need to read the rest of Psalm 22 to really understand why he said, My God, my God, why have I forsaken me? Because it was a messianic thing that David said, and so it would have brought to remembrance everything David said in that passage. So if you want to understand fully, read the rest of Psalm 22 where he says that. That, that wasn't the end of the story, okay? But like you stepping on that old bug, that's what you're hearing at the cross. Why? Because sin had to be dealt with. Okay, so we've got wrath and sin. Uh, what else? Mercy. Excellent. Justice. I heard this one. Grace. All of these are exemplified at the cross. One more thing that we could say. I'm going for easy words here. 
hate. That kind of goes back to these. See, sinners are only forgiven on the grounds of another bearing their punishment. Sinners are only forgiven on the grounds of another bearing their punishment. Hebrews 9. What does it say? Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Nahum chapter 1 verse 2 says, The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserveth wrath for his enemies. The Bible says in the book of Romans that we are were his enemies. You've got to be careful. I mean, um, sometimes people get into this universalism that ultimately we all go to heaven. Ultimately, ultimately I mean, people don't, won't say that, but that's their doctrine. Their greasy grace, their grace is so greasy, it's so sloppy, it's so cheap. That's why I call it cheap. It's because, you know, it looks good, but the minute you get it home and play with it, it breaks. You find out it's not the real thing. See, the grace that God gave us is the most expensive kind ever, but yet He gave it free. It was the highest quality, the best that could ever be bought, but yet it was free. So, how, how do we exemplify this attribute? What, what is it about? Well, 1 Thessalonians 4 says this is the will of God. If you want to know the will of God for your life, be holy. Be holy. I don't care if you're, you know. Um, I don't know if, if I gave Vince this tape. Uh, R.C. Sproul said one time, I don't care if you're a baker, uh, cook, baker, candlestick maker. You know, it, it, that that's really not the point. Most of us want to know, we want to know the will of God. We want to know if we're supposed to be a cook, a, a chef, a, a, a preacher, a, a truck driver, we, uh, work at Kimberly Clark, I mean, whatever, you know. Uh, NCR, I mean, you name it. The will of God is that in whatever we do, we honor Him. That's really what He wants. Um, so what about this? Um, so we're called to imitate His holiness. We've referenced this scripture. Be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Um, here's, remember I talked about 1 Thessalonians 5, 24? All right, where it said, Faithful is He who calls you and He also will do it. Well, Back up one verse. Verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Go to verse 24 now. Because faithful is he who has called you and he also will do it. Listen, God's asking us to be holy, but here's where we kind of get it wrong. We think that we're doing it ourselves. That's another reason he sent the Spirit. John 14, I'm going to send someone. The word's translated comforter, and that's really not probably the best translation. It really means one to come alongside of you. See? Yeah. I mean, but don't we try to do it on our own? I mean, we, we, we try to get into our own Galatian law. You know? I mean, if it weren't for the Spirit of God helping us, you know, yeah, we should we should obey the law. We certainly we certainly should obey the law. 
I don't believe that the commandments are thrown away. Should we fulfill the law? Absolutely. Can we do it on our own? No, we cannot. Impossible. But what we teach a lot of times when we teach sanctification or holiness is we always want to talk about us doing it, us doing it, us doing it. And, you know, we do play a part. But mainly it's really yielding to the work of the Spirit in our lives and understanding. Here's the key, folks, because we're going to hit on this over the next few weeks on Sunday morning. Here's the key. You need to understand that justification and sanctification are two totally different things. And the problem is, is we mix the two. And we think, well, if I'm not working toward my sanctification, then I'm not working toward my salvation. That's why we get in here and we can't worship on Sunday, remember? Because we get legalistic and we say, well, I didn't do anything to earn it. That's it. Listen to this. Revelation 21. He said, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, listen to the word he uses. The dwelling place or the tabernacle of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. That's the consummation of all things. When God finally brings all things. Romans 14, right? All, is it Romans 14 or 16? He'll bring all things under his feet. Okay? Really, that's part of our responsibility, I think, to come alongside and to go out. But it's, it's, it's Christ doing it in and through us by the work of the Spirit. So, let, let, me, let me say this. Um, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to give you just a, a side note, Okay? Father, I pray that you would help us to grow in this grace. God, that you would help us to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. It's not ours. We've been bought with a price. Father, it's all you. May we not confuse our role in becoming like you with your role in initiating and maintaining and preserving and working and, and doing and affecting our salvation. May we not confuse those things. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen.